Hey, everybody, I'm Gayla Zos, and welcome to episode number 10 of the Simple Marketing Academy podcast. This week is an industry focus week, which means you'll be hearing from someone who's actually in the marketing trenches, somebody who's out there promoting his business. In this episode, the topic is differentiators. What are they? Do they matter? How do you make the most of them? Joining me for this discussion is Greg Bum, the director of sales for GF Pool Company, a firm in suburban Nashville, Tennessee, that designs, manufactures, and sells air-conveyed waste collection systems to clients worldwide. Earlier in his career, Greg oversaw manufacturing operations that use the systems he now sells. So I think it's safe to say that he's walked in his client's shoes. I I think it's safe to say that he understands the power of differentiators from every angle. So if you want to do a better job of identifying what makes your product, service, or advice different and better than that of your competitors, I think you'll find this discussion interesting. Greg's insights will be helpful no matter what your industry. Let's listen in. Welcome to the Simple Marketing Academy podcast. If you're a budget-conscious small business owner who wants to learn more about marketing, join us weekly as Simple Marketing Academy founder Gayla Zoes helps you make sense of today's mind-boggling array of marketing options. So sit back, relax, and get ready to cut through the confusion because the Simple Marketing Academy podcast is starting now. Hey, everybody. This is Gayla Zoes with the Simple Marketing Academy podcast. We have a real treat for you today. This is an industry focus edition of the Simple Marketing Academy podcast. And we have Greg Baum, the Director of Sales and Marketing for GF Pool. And he's going to talk about whether differentiators really matter in a crowded marketplace. Greg, thanks for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. So before we dive into this notion of differentiators, let's start off with a little information about you. Today, you're the sales and marketing director at GF Pool in Gallatin. What did you do before that, and how did you get to where you are today? I was the VP of operations at a large commercial printing facility for about seven years, and I had been in printing for 20 years before that. And I was a customer of GF Pool at several uh, previous locations where I was either the plant manager or a manager. So I, they were uh, one of my vendors. And uh, just by chance, uh, I happened to live in the town where Pool's headquartered. And uh, when I switched industries, I ended up at Pool. So now my I know a lot of my customers from my previous career. And it sounds like you've walked in the shoes of your your customers today? Many times. I was an engineer, uh, manufacturing manager, uh, plant manager, vice president at at several printing facilities, and that's probably now half of our work. And almost all of my customer contacts are either owners, VP of operations, maintenance managers, or production managers. For our listeners who might not have heard of GF Pool before, what what does the company do? 
So we design, fabricate, install air conveyed uh, scrap collection systems and dust collection systems. So when uh, uh, a company makes boxes or books, magazines, uh, anything that requires trim or, or scrap dust, like woodworking, we supply and integrate balers and shredders into these systems. And we make a lot of the components and the duct work. We do all the design work, the CAD work, the drawings. And this allows our customers to collect their scrap. And it's all something that they can be, they can recycle and they get paid for. About 20% of some of our customers' revenue is the scrap that they sell back to the mill for recycling. Hmm. So, I've seen these systems before, and they're super complicated, but it's basically, um, if I were going to describe it in layman's terms, it would be a uh, the paper waste is sucked out of the production process. It's basically suctioned out and then blown through what looks like dryer ducts to a centralized location where it's shredded bailed and then sent out to recycle is that accurate yeah it's just a large industrial vacuum system almost like uh, some homes have a central vac we have a central vac that's as large as the factory and once you once you pull scrap and dust in the air when it comes to the end where you want to bail it or collect it you have to get the air separated from the from the material so that's uh, air material separator, which is a lot of times is a cyclone, which you've seen maybe on some factory roofs. Uh, and uh, so we do some under the roof stuff, but there's also dust filters and that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's very accurate, yes. The focus of our conversation today is on differentiators, which are those things that set a company apart from the competition. Tell us about... GF Pool's differentiators. Well, Pool has got a, a good reputation in our industry for standing behind what we build and design. Um, a lot of our competitors, they are a couple of guys, a couple of engineers in an office that know how to design systems, but they don't have the resources to fabricate and install. So what happens is if there are problems, um, a lot of times those competitors will walk away because they can't control the quality of the fab shop they hired or the quality of the uh, installation crew they hired. And in our case, they're all pool employees. It's all under one roof. So uh, if we have any issues uh, with systems, we can, you know, redirect a crew or send some of our shop guys out in the field that, you know, the guy that made the, the blower, we can send him out to the field because he made the blower and have him debug it if, it if it's necessary. It's rare, but it does happen. A um, good part of our work, a fairly large percentage of our work, uh, is because we're not the low-cost provider. A lot of times we'll, not a lot of times, but sometimes we'll lose a bid because of the price up front, and the system will be installed by our competitor, their system, and it won't work as advertised. And a lot of times it takes a year or two to figure that out. Things start to break. Uh, they become cumbersome to maintain. Uh, a lot of times our customers try to 
break the laws of physics and, and it ends up in the long run hurting them and being very irritating to their maintenance crews and stuff like that. So are we going and we end up getting a call back from the customer two or three years later and say, Hey, can you come in and replace this system for me? And we dig up our old bid and we update the pricing and we usually just put it right in, take out their old system. Well, that's, that's a, that's a big differentiator for us. So how did you go about identifying these differentiators? Well, when, when Poole started, his father was in the business, so he had a lot of background in the industry, but it evolved over time from a lot of small shops, you know, before the internet and before a lot of air travel back in the thirties and forties, uh, you know, when the salesman had to drive from point to point to point, took a lot of time. So he got to see a lot of things, um, and, and, and heard from customers about what they wanted, what worked and what didn't work. And, uh, I guess he called, he calls it the, the owner, Greg Poole calls it the, the school of hard knocks uh, from years and years ago. And, and, uh, when he started up his business, the one, this one that he owns today, um, after his father passed away, you know, he started small too. He, he was in two guys in a, in a apartment and he had to farm everything out. So he lived it uh, for a few years, but today, you know, we're large enough and, and only a few of our competitors have their own fabrication. I would say two or three. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really important for our listeners is that the process of identifying your differentiators starts by looking at, as you mentioned, the complaints of your market or your customers, but also looking at the competition. So how many, how many other businesses are you competing with on a day-to-day basis? Uh, most of the time, it's about six. Uh, it changes based on what happens in other markets where that we don't serve that, that create dust. For instance, uh, when farming is really good and they make, when farming is making a lot of money, the farmers make a lot of money that they, uh, there's a couple of them that a couple of our competitors that serve as farmers. So they get really busy and they don't, we don't see them for years, you know, until farming goes downhill a little bit, you know, pricing of grain goes down, then they come back in our market to try to stay busy. Uh, one of our competitors is really heavy in automotive. And so they, they jump in and out of competing with us, depending on how automotive is doing, because automotive is their primary. And another one is paper mills. So they do the same thing when paper mills are doing a lot of work, they're busy and they don't, we don't see them for years sometimes. So, but Pretty much there's about six of them that stay in our, you know, our, what I call our sweet spot as far as the customers that we serve. Generally customers only have, they only get, you know, it's a pain for them to get multiple bids a lot of times. So they'll get one or two bids or three at the most I've seen. So these are all custom systems. So it's, it takes a lot of time if they're going to shop around and then try to make it apples to apples because almost every system we do is custom built from the ground up. So much of, of differentiation is about comparing and contrasting uh, 
your offering and the outcomes you provide and the problems you solve with that of your competition. How, how do your competitors try to differentiate themselves against you? Well, the, the, uh, one of the competitors, well, bottom line, that all of them try to break the laws of physics. I, that probably doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. Um, you know, like a, a dust collector that costs three hundred system, a, a large dust collector system that costs three or four hundred thousand um, dollars. If they, they one of our competitors came in with a a wet collector system, so they're adding water, spraying water. They're 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 basically resurrecting something that was tried thirty years ago and didn't work. And sometimes it works a little better uh, because of the new electronic technology today versus thirty or forty years ago. Uh, but what happens most of the time is it, it's a hot item for two or three years, and then we start getting calls to replace them. So we'll lose the bid up front because our $300,000 dust, dry dust collector uh, is twice as much as their wet dust collector costs. So, but after three years, they have you know issues with it, with fungus and health issues, safety issues, permit issues, and it just adds up and they finally figure out that they made a mistake up front trying to save the money up front and they should have just gone with the with the, the traditional proven design. I think you have an interesting take on GF Pool's differentiators because you were once a customer of GF Pool. Tell us about how you experience those differentiators as a customer, which is when you get right down to it, the most important perspective of all. Well, the, the biggest thing with our systems is we want, we don't want the plant manager to get involved. Uh, it, you know, once the system's in and running, we want it to, to be like a shadow. You, you know, it's there, but you don't really pay attention to your own shadow. Right. So uh, when I was a plant manager in a hundred million dollar printing plant, I only really got involved twice in the Baylor system uh, in about seven years. I knew it was there. I knew how it run, ran. Um, you know, I dealt with the crewing and stuff like that. But as far as physically the system operating, uh, once was a big, large electronic electrical breaker went out and uh, created a spark. But that's that was just the age of the electrical components. That wasn't something pool supplied. That was the electrical company. And, uh, you know, once in a while a hydraulic hose would break or something like that. And I would see oil, uh, you know, leaking or something like that, but it wasn't, it was minor, very minor. It was always on the back of my to-do list at the bottom of my to-do list because it ran well enough that I didn't, I didn't need to get involved. That's, that's the best you know, our system, that's what we shoot for is we want it to run and not be a focus because it's a scrap collection system. You know, when it's a, when it's a printing press or a, or a die cutter or a flexo fold or gluer that's creating a product, um, you know, the plant manager will take customers out to the machine and show them, Hey, here's the product that we're making. But it's very rare for a plant manager to take a customer out their customer out to the baler and say, here's the bale we're making of scrap. They actually don't want to show them that because they're taking the bale and selling it for the scrap. 
Um, yeah, the, the paper that the customer paid for or the, the right. raw material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's literally a byproduct. You know, mm-hmm. so, and a lot of customers don't focus on the fact that the, the production plant is selling that scrap and that's part of the revenue. Now, that keeps their prices down to their customers because if they didn't have that revenue, they would have to raise their price. You know, if they just landfilled their scrap and their dust, then they would have to raise prices more than the value of the scrap because if you landfill it, you have to pay to take it away versus getting paid to have somebody come and take it. Mm-hmm. And I think this this notion of looking at your differentiators through your customer's eyes is so important. And in your, in your business, if the um, waste removal system goes down, it's like when a person gets constipated. I mean, right. you know, that happens, that goes on for too long and everything just shuts down. Yeah, we, you know, we do use that same analogy with our customers and they know it. I mean, if the baler goes down and they only have one baler with no backup baler or no diverters, their entire production goes down. And uh, uh, now we have ways to make backup. And that's a lot of things that our custom, our competitors shortcut on. For instance, I can sell a baler that has two motors, 25 horsepower each, or I can cheap, I can cut the cost by several thousand dollars and sell you one with the one fifty horsepower motor. Well, if the fifty horsepower motor goes out, the baler's down. But if one of the twenty-five horsepower motor goes out, motors goes out, it it can run at a reduced speed and not shut them down. And that's the kind of thing that we do. We we try to because I was in a production plant manager. And I know uptime is really important, and we do win a lot of sales because we can talk with the customer using their terms Mm -hmm. they understand that we were there and you know our sales approach is more about it's not about pushing a sale and pushing more on the customer it's about how can we do this effectively for a good you know reasonable cost you know it's never the least cost uh, because that's cutting breaking the laws of physics to do that but it's a it's a it's a cost that's going to be reliable and 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 a system that doesn't run well bleeds the customer of money they just don't know it you know the the crews get accustomed to these systems that are are marginal marginally designed and marginal performance you know the 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 crew just gets tired of bringing up the issue so they just unplug it restart it fix it whatever it takes and they just get it running again but the owner of that business doesn't realize a lot of times that they just lost the whole plant for 10 minutes or that machine for an hour. And it, they, they bleed a slow death. A lot of times if they buy a system that is not reliable. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, applying this to these small business owners and would be entrepreneurs who are listening to this podcast I think it's important to note that there are there are people, business owners, who don't want to take the time to think through their differentiators, maybe because they haven't thought it through, or maybe they see it as a waste of time. And for instance, just about every company says that they offer better customer service than their competitors. And 
you know, if everybody's saying that, then the whole exercise can seem pretty pointless. So how did you choose differentiators that actually had some meaning? Well, our theory is that, and when we practice it and it works, is to design a system where we don't have to do customer service very often. In other words, um, I, I have customers who call me and say when they buy our new system and they want a bunch of spare parts. And I've actually this week had to tell a customer, look, I can quote you these spare parts, but we almost never sell any of these spare parts. You won't need them. And the reason they wanted those spare parts is because they had a system that somebody else sold them that needed a lot of spare parts because it was a marginal design. So we take the need. We have customer service and we believe we're good at it. Our internal uh, sales guy for parts and service is from our, he's a, he was also a customer of ours. And uh, our we had a safety director that, that was also uh, from the, the printing industry. He was a customer for a long time and I was too. So uh, some key positions in our staff walked in the customer's shoes and that, but that's the, that's the key for a scrap collection, dust collection type operation is we want it to work so well that you don't really need a lot of customer service. Once a year maintenance kind of thing. Uh, we, We do it on purpose for that reason, because we have over 4,000 systems in operation around the world in four continents and I don't know how many time zones, but you know, it's, they run well enough that we don't get inundated with calls for, for fixing things on the weekend and at night and all kinds of hours. And that's, that's our intention is to make it work and not be something that's a focus by the customer because it works and they, it's like their shadow. They, it's there and they know it's there, but they don't really pay attention to it because they don't need to. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, one of the differentiators that I don't think you've mentioned in this podcast yet has to do with the engineering um, horsepower that your company has. Talk about that a little bit and how it how it helps you position yourself against competitors. Well, we have a structural engineer who has been in the business more than 30 years and uh, most of our competitors have to farm it out or they don't even engineer it. They'll just have their field crews build it in the field and it's very dangerous at times. Um, we replaced a system in Idaho where the competitor constructed the system on site. They attached it to the building. So if their engineering is not correct and the system structure fails in an earthquake, it also would pull the building down with it. So that's the kind of stuff that we avoid because we have a very experienced civil engineer, structural engineer, and we also use professional engineers for uh, PE stamped calculations and uh, drawings by state. And we we hire that out. You know, there's PE firms all over. Um, We have a couple that are licensed in all 50 states so they can to check our designs and stand, you know, do the cal- do their own independent calculations so that we know that it, everything will hold up and work in the long run. 
how how have you used these differentiators in your marketing efforts? Well, because we offer this, um, you know, we, we'll, we let customers know that we have degreed engineers on staff. And in our industry, that's, that's not the norm. Normally, it, you know, a lot of our competitors have, a, have a, it's a family business. One guy in a machine shop decided he was going to you know, design these systems and ductwork and blowers. And, and uh, we have a good examples of, not good, but examples of competitors, blowers falling apart. And uh, material, you know, the blades flying out of them and about killing somebody. Uh, uh, one of the largest jobs we ever got, based on missing the bid and getting a call back a few years later, is when a, a blower pretty much destroyed itself, and the the blade landed at the foot of the vice president as he was given a customer tour. <laughs> so that was. <laughs> That was a several million dollar job that we got on a phone. We got a phone call and they said, we want your system now. Just update the price and take that one out and put the new one in. So, uh, yeah, it could have killed somebody. I mean, it, it was a steel blade, half inch thick blade, that, you know, chunk of steel, probably the size of a laptop computer that uh, clanged along the floor and stopped his foot, stopped the steel from moving. That's like something you would see in a movie. That it, was staged. It was, it was so, yeah, it was almost staged. Yeah, was, <laughs> you couldn't time it like that any better for, for us. <laughs> but, oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that we, you know, we have a great reputation in the industry for building a robust system. We we also have a reputation that we're not the cheapest. And, and you know, we don't get some calls or we, we get, you know, beat out of bids because, we're not the low cost and some people just think they have to be low cost all the time. And some do, some have to be because of their, their business model. But in the long run, the ones who do it right up front, um, they're customers of ours for a long time. We have a lot of customers. I would say 80% of our customers, maybe even more have a 20 plus year relationship with us. Um, because our systems hold up and, and, uh, they read the name tag on the equipment that they already have and has our name and contact information. And they call us because they hadn't called us in 10 years because the first system we sold them was working great. And you know, they don't, they have to look us up. <laughs> well, that that's a good thing Yeah. for, for our listeners who may be thinking of starting a business and, you know, thinking of, putting together a business plan and a marketing plan and who might be going through the process of trying to figure out in advance what their differentiators might be, what advice would you give them about how they can, how they can identify those differentiators without actually having, you know, 20 years of experience to fall back on? Well, I, I would say that, you know, listening to customers, if you can get an audience with a customer, a potential customer, um, if you can get them to talk about what they, you know, what if, what if you, you know, you had a totally new supplier, what would you want? And listen really well. And uh, a lot of people talk more when they're selling than when they're, than they listen. They should be listening more than they talk. And, uh, 
because uh, you know if you can get a lot of times the customer won't they won't know or don't think about it so you, it, it's not an easy road if you want to go directly to potential customers like that instead of going the school of hard knocks which mm-hmm. i don't recommend but uh uh you know that's that's one way to get there i We're, you know, working in some lot chain of the, of supply, like, you know, somebody who's somewhat familiar with part of the business would probably know more than somebody who just tried to create a business out of, you know, a thought process. In other words, if they, you know, they have an idea and I'm going to start a business and I, I think this business plan through, but I don't really have any experience in that would be really tough. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the point you're making is that it's good to get input from the people who would be your customers, even if it's, you know, finding people on LinkedIn and asking for, you know, some kind of a conversation or a discovery interview just to find out about what they would want in their ideal supplier or what, what really ticks them off about the people who are currently providing that service. Oh yeah. And that's probably, they, they would probably get a lot of answers uh, with, you know, with customers who would be ready to move. That's, that's the conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's boil this down for our listeners. What is the one thing that a business owner or a marketing professional should know or do in order to get the most out of promoting their company's differentiators? Well, I think you have to listen first and then tailor the response or the message to the customer without making promises that they cannot keep. Because once a sales rep makes or marketing rep makes a promise that they can't keep, game is over. Um, you know, in the, in the manufacturing world, that's a big deal. You know, when, when you're a sales rep and you walk in there and if they don't know you, they don't trust you. A lot of times if I'm in, with a customer, even though I've been in the industry, you know, I was a customer for 20 plus years and I've been here at this job for 13 years. So I'm real familiar with walking out in a printing plant and a box plant, done it hundreds of times. But if it's the first time I've been there, a lot of times they won't just turn me loose and let me measure and take pictures and, and design out in the field. They'll follow me around for two hours but by the time I go back the second, third, and fourth time, they see me and they say, oh, yeah, just, you know where it's at. Go out there and do it. And that makes my job easier, actually. But it's about trust. Mm-hmm. They have to trust you that you're not trying to sell them something they don't need. And especially if they've had bad experiences before and somebody made a promise and then didn't deliver. And I think it, it just creates an obstacle for anyone who's going to follow. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting um, in the last week, I've gotten two jobs, two, two, one, two projects, and that uh, the contracts were the first contract with these customers. The first contract was 39 pages long. The second one was 26 pages long. And I had to laugh because most of our work, we have, we'll do a quote that's six or seven pages maybe or 10 pages, depending on how big the project is. And the customer just sends us a PO and they take our contract, you know, our quote, which is becomes a contract. And uh, what happens, you can see when you read it that 
they've been burned before and that's why their contracts are so long. It's all legal language, it's payments and you know, what happens if anything happens kind of thing. And, and uh, it's, it's a shame because that's really what's happened to them is they've been, they wouldn't make a 39 page or 25, 26 page contract if things had gone well in the past. Mm-hmm. So, Well, I think that, that GF pool is definitely a leader in the trim collection system industry and you've really made the most of those differentiators. And I, and I, I would say that even if I hadn't written your website copy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's, that's it for our interview. Thank you, Greg, for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Simple Marketing Academy podcast. If you enjoyed the show, why not leave a review? It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback. And speaking of feedback, if there's a topic you'd like us to address on the podcast, let us know. Just drop us an email at info at simplemarketing.academy. The Simple Marketing Academy podcast will be back next week with more straight talk about marketing your small business. See you there.